for the ones who are staying for this service, you will hear a different message, <clears throat> but the same theme focusing on Christ's approach to impact people's lives. I was really blessed by the baptism of Ariel to see her father baptize her. It touched me deeply, and I asked, because I know the whole family for many years, I asked Ariel, does she remember me? And she looked at me and she said, I wish, I wish, but I don't. But at least she wished. I said, is it because I'm older? Is it because I lost my hair? I mean, wh wh what caused you not to remember? She said, I think, Dr. Saman, I was too young. So I'd like to get to know Ariel as the rest of her family. I mean, come on, Ariel, I'm talking to you personally now. I know your dad, he was my student, okay? And I know your mom, who was my student. I know your grandpa and grandma sitting right there. I even go back earlier. I, I worked with uh, Portland, Oregon, with your great-grandfather, Elder Patterson. So if all these wonderful people know me, I think you should. <laughs> and. Uh, very moving moment when you were baptized and thank you you see she's a leader she takes the initiative come up here to give me a hug now secretly I was hoping she would do that <laughs> and you understood what I was thinking what I was feeling and so now you made my day so my sermon should be good right now <laughs> and then I appreciate pastor Steve Sherman for organizing this weekend so well. From the time I met him, he became my friend and brother in Christ. And as we worked together planning this weekend, he was such a blessing to work with. He came to pick me up at my hotel 10 minutes early. I'm glad I was down 10 minutes early. And then he just was like a chauffeur to me. He put the boxes in the trunk. Do you need anything? What can I do to help you? And what a good introduction to this church because the whole church is so gracious. I mean, isn't that wonderful to be friendly, sociable, gracious Seventh-day Adventists? God bless you for that. You made me feel at home. The Sabbath class was wonderful. I taught uh, Pastor Sherman's class so responsive, so engaging. We had a great time. I want to invite all of you to come back for the seminar at... 4.30. We're going to talk about Christ's method impacting our marriages, impacting our families. The second presentation, how does Christ's method reveal Christ in all our spheres of influence in the church, schools, community at large? And after that, we will have a time of fellowship and some light refreshments and snacks because after having such a big meal on Sabbath, who needs to have a big supper, right? And so we welcome you to come back for that time of fellowship. After that, I'll be sharing you my testimony, my personal testimony, because I was born in the land of Isis, okay? So I'm going to share my testimony entitled The Isis Crisis, 
and how that relates to last day events, our times. So if you have friends who are interested in the subject, or if you have... Come here, come. You know, I mean, we should really understand that. Because <laughs> oh, man, it hurts. <clears throat> Pastor Sherman, I don't want to hurt your feelings, okay? But I was hoping she would come instead of you. And, uh, and then, you know, um, I, I can't help but thank Pastor McCoy for the wonderful children's program. That's so inspiring to really train the kids in such a wonderful way, how they dress, how they look, how they speak, well prepared. I tell you, the greatest thing we can do in our church programs is to invest in our children. And I'm so glad, Pastor Jeff, you're going to invest with the whole church in, in classrooms and facilities for our children. That's very important to do that. And uh, I didn't mention Gable and Nathan and Aaron. They also know me, right? Yes. And I want to thank God, Nathan, for the miracle God performed in your life. I was around in Georgia when this happened. And let me tell you something. You're a walking miracle by the grace of God. God saved your life for a special purpose, for a sanctified mission in your life. And so, well, anyway, I don't know, it's now, what is it? It's 12.21, uh, and I'm supposed to finish at 12.30, right? <laughs> oh. And he said, feel free to go longer. Yes. 1 o'clock, 1.30, 3 o'clock. <laughs> Like when I was a missionary in Africa, you know? Yeah, well, I'm a guest speaker, Pastor Jeff, okay? I mean, they have you every Sabbath. Now, I'm here after seven years, I come back, and I have some, you know, special treatment. Because if I speak longer, they don't have to see me again. Anyway, I was in Africa as a missionary, and I speaking to about 5,000 people for the worship service, and I preached my heart out. And I took all the time I needed. And there was silence after I finished, like something wrong took place. And I saw the chiefs of different towns with their fancy outfits meeting in the back, talking about something. So I thought maybe I might have preached some heresy. I didn't know why they were troubled in the back, uh, meeting in a committee. And they all marched forward to the front and began to labor with me. Pastor Saman, we walked for miles. We walked for days to be here to worship, and you only preach one sermon? That's not fair. Preach another sermon. We all decided as a committee for you to preach another sermon. So I had to quickly look at my Bible and come up with a second sermon. I'm just telling you that. So that in case I preach a second sermon, <laughs> you're prepared for that. Anyway, 
Our sermon for the first service was entitled Fragrance by Christ. Why is that so indispensable? Because without being fragranced by Christ, I don't smell good spiritually. The only way I can smell sweet for Christ, to draw people to Christ, is to allow Christ to fragrance my life. The sermon on the same theme for this worship service entitled, Savored by the Savior. Flavored by Christ. I, li I like the words savor and savior. Don't they go together? I want to tell you, I don't taste good spiritually without Jesus savoring my life. I know as Adventist Christians, we, we talk about our message is wonderful. It's the truth from God. We have a truthful message. We have a correct message. We have a healthy message. But you know what it needs? It needs to be more tasty. It's good to be healthy, to have healthy food. Also, we need to have tasteful food. Sometimes I'm invited to speak at certain organizations. God bless them, they do good work. They emphasize healthy living, and they don't believe the food being flavored. They believe the food in being healthy, but not tasty. And you can eat that food, it will give you maybe 10 years, extra years of your life. I have no question about that. But I really believe God wants us not to only eat healthy food, but tasty food. How do I know that? Because he created the taste buds. Isn't God a very thoughtful God? He not only wants us to be healthy by eating healthy food, he actually wants us to enjoy the food by making it tasty. That's why he created the taste buds. The same thing with our message as a church. It's wonderful our message is healthy, but it must be tasty. And, to, and, and this Sabbath we're talking about Christ's method of impacting people's lives. Christ's method helps us to make our message flavored, tasty, savored. That reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew 5.13. I told you in the first service, I love the text where Jesus tells us, you are something. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You are the fragrance of Christ. If we don't let Christ define who we are, the world will define who we are. I'd rather Christ define who I am than the greatest worldly institution defining who I am. Christ believes in us. He affirms us. And he says, I believe in you to the extent I'm going to call you the light of the world. I am the light of the world par excellence. But if you open your hearts to me, I'll transform your darkness into my light. What a great honor to be the light of Jesus in this dark world. I know you don't have flavor, but Christ has all the Savior as the Savior. He said, if you open your heart to me, I will fragrance your life and give it savor. But people 
then through your influence can taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And people ask me, how can you taste a person? I mean, you can taste food, can't you? But how do you taste a person? Pastor Sherman, how do you taste a person? In a spiritual sense. We can. And when they taste who we are, they have a taste of Jesus, and they will taste and see Christ is good, revealing himself in our lives. Well, our language actually betrays us. I mean, you remember people saying, <clears throat> isn't she sweet? Errol, I'm talking about you, okay, so pay attention. Isn't she sweet? Well, sweet that has to do with taste. What, what does that mean? We're sweet for Jesus. We taste good for Jesus. And by the way, I don't want to say this about Pastor Sherman here. But, you know, we look at a man and say, by the way, isn't he bitter on life? Bitter. So you see, people taste. Spiritual speak, they taste something. Isn't he sour on life? But when Jesus savors our lives, then we taste good for Jesus. Now, you know, in the book we're using as textbook for our seminar today is Christ's method alone, how to impact people's lives with the gospel, how to transform people's lives by the power of the gospel. And, you know, Jesus himself came up with this philosophy in his own mouth. He talked to us about his approach. So it's not just something we're making up. Christ talked about that in Luke chapter 6 and verse 40. Luke chapter 6 and verse 40. And there Jesus says, and I want you to think of three points, to help us become Christ-like, to help us diffuse his fragrance of love and mercy and grace to help us taste like Jesus. He gives a secret in Luke chapter 6 and verse 40. It has three points. Number one, a disciple is not above his teacher. That's point number one. That's why I mentioned during the worship service what John the Baptist said, Christ must increase and I must decrease. When Christ becomes dominant in my heart, he's so powerful, he squeezes self out. And now then, when we look at this text in Luke 6, Jesus says, a disciple is not above his teacher. Which means Christ is our leader. Christ is our expert trainer. Christ is the divine potter and we are the flexible, pliable clay. Let him do with us anything he pleases to make us more like him. So we establish in the first point from this text the mastery of Jesus. Our disciple, you and I, our disciples were not above our teacher Jesus. He's above all. He is the expert. And then the next point, 
Anyone, everyone, I'm translating now from the Greek. Anyone, everyone who's fully trained. There is the word training in the Greek language. Who's fully trained. Aha. So the first point, Christ the expert trainer. If you want to be trained, let's sit at the feet of Jesus. Humility and openness. And we're told that sitting at the feet of Jesus, we reach the highest position in life. Isn't that amazing? I mean, there are people today who are craving to reach a high position. Look at our political year. Everybody says, I'm the best. I want to reach the highest position, the leader of the superpower of the world. I want that position. People innately desire to have a high position. I do too. It's normal, it's natural for all of us. I met some of you today. You are CEO of this, president of that. It's a high position to be the pastor, senior pastor of this wonderful church, high position. But my friends, let me tell you the truth. What really helped me, because I worked on all levels of the church, and now I'm a humble professor. What really helped me with this is to believe and actualize in my life by the grace of God that the highest position I can reach in life is to sit at the feet of Jesus. And you know, uh, once I was asked to speak at the general conference session to give one of these sermons about radical discipleship, I met some of my friends there. Some of them were really happy because they were, they were voted in or they are promoted. Some others were hanging the balance. They were anxious. Some others didn't, didn't, were not uh, called again to serve in the same position. And, and one of them told me, now I have to go and pastor. I mean, you know, going from John Conference, and now I'm going to have the position of just merely pastoring. And we say as a church, as leaders, to be a pastor, to be on the cutting edge, is the highest position we can have in the church. Felt bad, he was just going to pastor. So you know something, I was looking for a good introduction for my sermon. I got my introduction. And that is, sometimes we worry about our position. And I mentioned to them the statement from, from Thoughts of Mount Blessings, page 15. How all of us are anxious to have a high position, but when we sit at the feet of Jesus and learn to be like Him, we have indeed, we have already reached the highest position in life. If you really believe that, it will give you confidence and security in that, in that, in that position in Christ to be bold and to say, I'm secure in Jesus. I'm not worried about position. Why? I already got the highest position. President Obama, eat your heart out. I have the highest position because I'm sitting at the feet of Jesus. I don't care what position you have. If you're not sitting at the feet of Jesus, it won't matter anyway because when Christ comes, everything will be gone except our experience of sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning to be more like Him. So I, I review with you these two points. The first point, in order for us to become Christ-like, is to establish the mastery and expertise of Jesus. 
He's our expert trainer. If you really want to know how to impact people's lives, sit at his feet and learn from him so you might become like him. Then the second point, he's the expert trainer and I'm the trainee. We're all the trainees. And what's our expertise? It's to be teachable. It's to be teachable, pliable, flexible, moldable in the hands of the master expert trainer, Jesus. And the final point is so awesome. I don't know if you noticed it before. Then you have what I call this combustible combination. The expert trainer Jesus with you and me, the teachable trainees sitting at his feet. What happens? It sa Jesus says at the end of the verse, then we become like our teacher, Jesus. The greatest spiritual accomplishment in this church, in any other church, even more than the new projects you have to really beautify this church and make it more usable and bless many people is what? For Pastor Jeff Patterson, his greatest spiritual achievement is to help you and himself and his family members to be more Christ-like. To be more Christ-like. Because let me tell you something. Christ's method says that it reveals Christ in our lives. Why is that so crucial? I just finished reading a book, How to Impact Muslims for the Gospel. So many things have been tried, so many millions of dollars have been spent, so many books have been written, but there was this man from Syria, a Sunni Muslim, who accepted Christ as Savior, and he said the most effective method to impact the Muslims for the cause of Christ is simply, don't start teaching doctors at the beginning. Just be their friend. Love them and let Jesus reveal himself in you and he is so powerful and loving and mighty and effective that their hearts miraculously will be touched and he's receiving great success because of this approach and his approach reminded me of Christ's method alone I need to meet with him sometime and talk to him he travels around the world I read his book because when everything is said and done when it comes down to the wire, Jesus is going to ask all of us one question. Do I know you? Oh Lord, I have 4,000 friends on Facebook. <laughs> is my face among those faces? Am I first and foremost in your life? If you love father, mother, daughter, sister, brother, spouse more than me you're not worthy of me and people ask me there's a difficult saying of Jesus it's not difficult I was born in that culture to me it's simple that's how we talk but Jesus was saying if you put me first and foremost in your life and love me first and foremost what happens I'll pour into your heart my agape love and then it flows on your loved ones and friends I tell you to have a very vibrant strong Marriage relationship, do not try to empty your spouse or empty yourself 
of human love. It becomes depleted easily. Love Jesus first and foremost, and He'll fill your heart with genuine love that you can pour it out on others, and therefore you even love them more if you love Jesus first. So the question is this. At the end, Jesus says, do you know me? And he will find the answer himself by looking at your heart and my heart at the end. This is so crucial. When everything is said and done, when all things are finished, he look at your heart and my heart. Do you? Do I know you? He doesn't have to take a survey. He doesn't have to work with any polls. Some people can cheat with surveys and polls. But Jesus knows the truth. By looking at your heart and mine, will he? When he asks you that question, ask me this question, do I know you? And he knows the answer to that question for every one of us. How? By looking into our hearts and saying to himself with a smile, I know you because I see myself in you and because I can, I, Jesus can recognize myself in you. Jesus knows what he is like. And when he looks at our hearts, he says, oh, by the way, I know you because I see myself revealed in you. So going back to this text from Matthew 5.13. You know, it's, it's about the salt of the earth. In the textbook we'll use this afternoon about the different amazing qualities of salt. 1,400 uses. But, but in this sermon I want to focus how salt helps us in our human relationships, in our witness, and how we impact people's lives and our spheres of influence. And I just, you know, the Bible talks about that. The Bible focuses on a covenant of salt between God and His people. In the Middle Eastern culture, biblical culture, we talk about He had salt at my table. There's more than just a meal. There is a spiritual bonding. What did Jesus mean when He said that? You and I are the salt of the earth. And He said, if salt loses its savor, it's good for nothing. Isn't that something it's really telling us? Without Christ, we're destitute. I don't care how much we call ourselves salt of the earth unless the Savior savors our life and witness. We won't make it. To be honest with you, I want to be vulnerable and say, I don't taste good by myself. My only hope is to be savored by the Savior. So I just want to share with you a few characteristics about the salt to help us in our Christian witness, how we impact people's lives. One characteristic is this. Salt brings out the flavor in the food. Wow. You know, by the way, we relate to people. Have you discovered it's really an exciting adventure? Isn't that exciting? The way you interact with people when Christ reveals himself in your life, can bring out the best in them. But the way we relate to them, if we're not saved by a Savior, often we tend to bring out the worst in them. Our mission in life is to bring out the best in people, not the worst in people. Look at the statement here. Look at the statement. I have it on page 
28 of our textbook. It's an amazing statement about this very idea. Bring out the flavor in people's lives. It comes from a wonderful book. I read Gospel Workers. It says the following. We must cultivate the habit of speaking well of others. Dwell upon the good qualities of those with whom you come in contact. And see as little as possible of their errors and failings. We cannot, I continue reading from the same statement, we cannot afford, that means it's a lose-lose situation, we cannot afford to live on the husks. That reminds you of corn, right? Shocking the corn. We cannot afford to live on the husks of other people's failings. Because if we do that, we are changed into the same image. The very act of looking for evil in others develops an evil in those who look. Our mission is not to focus on the husks. Our mission is to focus on the kernels. You know something? All of us have husk in us. Nobody is saying amen to that one. Let me, I have husk in me. The only person who doesn't have husk is Jesus. But we have some grain too. I don't talk about this in a naive way. Oh no, we need to be as wise servants, harmless as doves. We are realistic. I know there are husk in people's lives. I choose deliberately to focus on the corn in them. And what happens then? Somehow, miraculously, the kernels are maximized and the husks are minimized. Isn't that wonderful? Now I see Dr. Gosson here. Is that you, Joseph? Is that you? Can I drop the paper down so you come and hug me? My colleague from Southern Adventist, his dear wife as well. And we miss you there. My wife taught your son piano. Is he practicing, by the way? <laughs> I want to give a good report to my wife. But you know, in our culture, Middle Eastern culture, it's the biblical. I'm writing a book about the culture of Jesus. And I think you can relate to it. I just saw, I thought I'll use this example. You're familiar with the Lebanese, because originally you come from Lebanon. The Lebanese poet and wonderful writer, Gibran Khalil Gibran? Yes or no? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said yes, because if not, I would have to labor with you afterwards. Famous author and poet. And he defined friendship this way. It's an amazing thing. Sounds very much like gospel works about the, about the, the, the husks and the corn. You know what Gibran Khalil Gibran said? Now, of course, we have wheat in that part of the world more than corn. And he said, a genuine friend is someone. Oh, how? We all need friends like that. A genuine friend is someone into whom we can pour out the contents of our heart, both chaff and wheat together. The genuine friend with a gentle breath, he blows the chaff away. But he keeps the wheat. Christ is that best friend. Even though he knows everything about us, he knows about all the chaff, all the husks. 
Yet Jesus chooses to keep what's worth keeping, the wheat. Are we focused on the wheat or the chaff? Salt brings out the best in people. But can you imagine if the Shermans invite me for lunch today? By the way, are you inviting me for lunch? <laughs> and they have corn, ears of corn, you know what I'm saying? And your wife asks you to go outside and shuck the corn. Is that the verb you use, to shuck the corn? You separate the husk from the corn. And then you discard all the corn outside. You bring the wife with the husks. I'm in trouble. You, you, you can't even imagine that. But often in the way we relate to people, we do the same thing. We ignore the ears of corn that give you taste and nourishment. And we focus on the husks. That would be as disappointing as you guys boiling the husk and offering to me for lunch. I'm just saying this in front of everybody in case you're thinking what to do with the corn. <laughs> please, please ignore my husks and focus on the few kernels I have in my heart. And this way it will be maximized and the others minimized. Well, another characteristic of salt is salt takes the initiative. Often we say, let's wait till people come to our office. Let's wait till people seek us out. But my friends, Jesus, our example, the expert trainer, reach out for the lost sheep. That's why when I speak to pastors, meetings, I emphasize the fact we need to visit people. Some members have not been visited in 20 years, 15 years, 10 years. Jesus mingled with people as one who desired their good. That's the first step of Christ's method. Mingle with people for altruistic motives. Often people reach each other for ulterior motives. Ulterior is the opposite of altruistic. I, you're my friend. I care about you. Why? Because I want your vote. After the election is over, I don't even know you. Isn't that revolutionary? When we are diffusing the fragrance of Christ, when we are tasting wonderful for Christ, what happens? We do things for altruistic motives. Isn't that a wonderful feeling to do things altruistically? Jesus mingled with people as one who desired their good. So then you see salt is not sprinkled on the food. I mean, I mean, food is not sprinkled on the salt, it's vice versa. Can you imagine going to a restaurant and people taking the food and sprinkling on the salt? It's weird to see people do this way. But people, the salt of the earth, are saying, we're waiting a salt to have people come to us. Salt takes the initiative. How does this work in the real life? How does it work in the real life? Well, I, I work with students and faculty members. And I tell my students at the beginning of each semester, please pray for Dr. Saman, your professor, to teach more and more like Jesus. Pray for me. I need to teach more and more like Jesus. Pray for me. I'll become more Christ-like. That's my holy ambition in life, to be more and more like Christ. 
Pray for me, I'll do my best to help you be saved. Pray for me, I'll practice Christ's method and how I teach you and relate to you. Because see, Christian education is more than dispensing good lectures. It's more than the cognitive, it's also the affective. We don't only communicate from mind to mind, but heart to heart. It's life that begets life. So I have a, I have a program. By the end of the school year, by the end of each semester, I should say, I'm to meet one-on-one -on -one with every one of my students in the dorms, different places, invite them to my home. When I finish with my students, 250 a semester, I then get to know other students and faculty on campus, and I pleasantly surprise them. They wonder why I'm coming to see them, because I say, don't blame me, blame Jesus. He made me do it. I'm just following his approach. And it is mingling with people as one desiring their good. And so this young lady was so shy in my class, a freshman, taking my class life and teachings of Jesus, very shy and awkward. And I, it was so hard to talk to her. And I was praying and hoping for her to get to know her, know where, where she is in her spiritual journey. And this is how the conversation would go. Hi, Kathy. Hi. How are you doing? Fine. Very short sentence, by the way. Hi and fine. No need for punctuations. Are you doing okay in my class? Yes, sir. From the south, she said, sir. Yes, sir. Two words. Short sentence. That's all she could say to me. Well, I tried a few times the same results. I said, Lord, help me. I need to meet her, know, get to know her better. I want to use your method in reaching out to her. And one day in the middle of the semester, I was praying in my office. I always pray before I leave my home. I pray before I leave my office to help pray that God use me as a laborer as I interact with people today. It's like a spiritual adventure. God always caused something to happen. And I look forward to that every day. And then before I leave, Lord, thank you for being with me. Send me seven students. Two who want Bible studies, three who gave their lives to Christ, a couple who want to be students. Thank you, dear Lord. As I was praying with Jesus, my greatest prayer partner, he convicted my heart. There is one more person for you to meet. Lord, I know that. Thank you so much. But already has seven of them, a perfect number. Can we call it a day? Telling Jesus that. Well, he didn't want to call it a day. He kept insisting, convicted. One more person I want you to meet. Well, Lord, can we wait for tomorrow? No, no, it has to be. Now. But Lord, the campus is big. I mean, how would I find that one person? It would take me a long time. I'm hungry. My wife is waiting for me. He said, you were too much. I know what I'm doing. Isn't that amazing? Christ knows what he's doing. I don't believe the experts anymore when they say they know what they're doing. They're just telling you that. I can fix the economy. I can fix everything Donald Trump says. But let me share the good news with you. Only Jesus is able to, save, to fix all our problems by his second coming. Our world is so complicated. Nobody can fix it, really. Lord, forgive me for being stubborn. At your word, I'll do it. You're able to do exceedingly abundantly. You're able to find the student. I want to be available. So I walked away from my office. In front of our building, there is a student center. There are 20 students visiting. 
and Kathy was one of them. I ignored Kathy Elder Patterson because Kathy didn't talk. I ignored her. Busy talking to other talkative students, and lo and behold, providentially, God allowed every student to leave except Kathy, the shy, awkward Kathy. I was stuck with Kathy. <laughs> and not to make her feel, you know, embarrassed, I walked toward her. It's the same old conversation. Kathy, how are you doing today? Fine. You doing okay in my class? Yes. Is there anything I can do to help you? No, thank you. And like out of frustration, you know, sometimes the Lord uses our frustration, impatience maybe, at least in this situation. I said, you know, Kathy, would you please tell me why did you decide to come to Southern Adventist University? Why did you decide to do that? And the Holy Spirit began to help her with her English. The phrase became longer for some reason. She surprised me. She said, because an Adventist family sponsored me. Wow. That's at volumes, right? That's even better than high and by, and I'm fine. No, thank you. An Adventist family sponsored me. It just triggers something in my mind. Why would they do that? They're paying your tuition, everything else. Yes. Why? Because they want me to meet Jesus on this campus. Salt takes the initiative. Keep taking initiative. God will find just the right timing. She said, Dr. Saman, I thank you for asking this question. Because you see, before, when she answered my question this way, that they sponsored to meet Jesus on our campus, I said, Kathy, I mean, I didn't plan on that. You know, I use Christ's method. I get to know people, make friends with them. I don't talk about baptism until later on, you see? So now I'm talking about baptism to this young lady. Kathy, have you ever thought of making commitment to Jesus in baptism? And I kind of surprised myself. I don't normally do that. God sometimes impresses you to go against what you're used to, what feels comfortable with you. You know what she said to me? She, she kind of was so surprised and shocked. She said, Dr. Simon, you won't believe this. I was just studying my Bible for your class in my room in the girls' dorm. And I was praying. As I was praying, the Lord kept convicting me over and over again. I brought you here so that you can make commitment to Jesus and be baptized. I brought you here to make commitment to Jesus and be baptized. She said, I can't believe it. I said, Lord, is that you? If it's you, I'm not worthy of that. I want to meet Jesus and be baptized. I'm not worthy of that. But if that's what you want me to do, would you please allow my professor, Dr. Saman, to bring up the subject next time he meets me. That was Monday. I was supposed to meet her Wednesday in my class. But God was in a hurry. He convicted her heart to take a break after her prayer and this conviction. He placed her right in front of our building under my nose. He kept her there till the end and he impressed my heart to ask that question I never usually ask. Have you thought? Make a commitment, Jesus, in Baptist. She says, Sir, that's what the Lord impressed me to do. Yeah. See, when your mind clicks with Jesus' mind, your heart throbs with Jesus' heart, what happens? People and circumstances click together miraculously. 
That's what makes it into a spiritual adventure. That's what makes God real. She was so excited about it. She got six of her friends. We had Bible studies in my office every week. They all made commitment to Jesus and being born again, they're baptized. Salt takes the initiative. Salt takes the initiative. Salt also, when you live in a country with ice and snow, salt is used to melt the ice. Our mission is for Christ's love to warm our hearts and to melt the coldness in people's lives. If we're not warming up the cold world back to life, it's probably freezing us to death. The last thing I want to share with you because I'm getting hungry, by the way. <laughs> it's good corn. You know, the, the Patterson, this church is so nice. Like, they smile. They have a sense of humor. Isn't that good? What's wrong with you people? Are you Seventh-day Adventist Christians? Aren't you supposed to be sad? There are many characteristics in the textbook. We'll discuss this this afternoon. By the way, Please come. I came all the way from College Day Hill. <laughs> You're not going to walk two, three days like in Africa. Come for the seminar. We're going to his book. And look at every aspect of Christ's approach. And the whole seminar will be punctuated with experience, exciting experiences. And when you come, I talk to the pastor, and you'll get a copy of this book, autographed, to use as a textbook. Okay? Now then, the last thing I want to share with you, and that is the whole idea of praying and witnessing going together. Christ told us that. Prayer and witness go hand in hand. Harvest is ripe, labors are few. Therefore, pray. Christ's method. If Christ's method is combined with prayer and God's love, it can never fail. And so therefore we're told that when we pray from our hearts, then we need to live out our prayers. See, some people specialize in praying. Praying is of no avail unless we live it out in our lives. Pray in faith with all your heart, but then live out your prayer and place yourself where God can bless you. That's what I try to do with my life as a laborer. And so I was flying to Madagascar, big island in the ocean on a speaking appointment. And this, this whole story is about the characters of the salt. Salt makes us thirsty for water. You remember when you eat salty foods, crackers, salted peanuts, you feel thirsty. A mission in life. By the way, we relate to people to make them thirsty for the water on life. Jesus. Oh, I want to have what you have. I long to have what you have. Salt makes people thirsty for water. And we are to make people thirsty for the water of life. We're not the water of life by any means. We're only the catalyst to help people feel thirsty for the water of life. How many people I meet are thirsty? They are thirsty. They need to be quenched. Nothing can quench their thirst except the water of life. So here I was at the airport, and the announcement came were to fly to Mauritius, another island in the ocean. Well, the flight is 
mechanical trouble is going to take some hours and people start complaining you know I used to complain too you know if I go to a restaurant I just want to start eating I, I, I can't wait in line lines I don't like lines why am I wasting my time waiting in line but the Lord cured me oh, thank God he cured me of my malady of impatience you know what I do now I know Jesus ever lives to pray for people everywhere so all I say Lord may I join you in praying for these people I spend my time while waiting praying for these people and as I was praying you know the Lord directed me to go and talk to this man who looked like a European maybe a businessman he looked like he was French I said maybe I could practice my French on him <laughs> sir how are you doing fine we flying to the same place yes are you into business I said no no I, I happen to be a professor oh well I'm a professor too so we're both professors Isn't that nice both professors except the subject was different than mine he told me I said what subject do you teach he said I teach atheism <laughs> my mission in life is to convince everybody there is no God right. and to divest everybody of this terrible superstition right. there's a God that's my mission in life. I said, well, where do you get to? Oh, I have three doctors at Université de Sorbonne, Université de Paris, and Université de Montpellier. Oh, I write textbooks. Universities use my textbooks about atheism. So you know something? Christ's message says, socialize with people, listen to them, mingle with them. So I took my time to listen as long as possible. <laughs> Because I knew he was going to ask me. I spent an hour listening to this man. And he said, sir, I really appreciate the fact you're listening. This is really nice. You know, everything about my family, my work. That's nice. Not many people do that. Now then, would you please tell me your name and what you do? Well, the first question was easy because I remembered my name, Philip Saman. The second question was very difficult. At that point, I wished I was a plumber, a carpenter, name it. You know how French philosophers like to argue? And my French wasn't that good. I said, my name is Philip Saman. He said, what do you do, sir? Um, I said, uh, I hesitate. He said, are you unemployed? I said, no, I'm employed. <laughs> By who? I said, by the greatest boss in the world. It's a big company. He said, where is it located? It's universal, I said. Universal company. I just tried to wait because I didn't want to shock this guy. I, you know, I thought he would, he would just really mock me to scorn. And finally, I had to tell him what I did. I said, I am a professor teaching people how to believe in God and his word, the Bible. I'm a professor of theology. And the man looked pale. <laughs> he said, you're joking. <laughs> He's just joking me, right? No, no, I'm serious. I, I do work for God. I try to convince as many people as possible there's God who loves them. Jesus died for them to give them meaning and purpose in life. He said, but you're not joking. I said, I'm not joking. Right. He said, but, but you can't. You can't believe in God. Said, Why would you say that? I said, pourquoi? He said, because you are a nice guy, you look smart and intelligent, you cannot believe in God. I said, but I do. And when he was convinced, he was angry at me. Salt makes people thirsty for the water of life. Could, could God make this hardened heart of this atheist, hardened atheist, 
Could it make that heart thirsty for the water of life, Jesus? Could it? Is God able to do that? It's not about me, it's about Him. You see, when I pray, it's my weak prayer. Unite with Christ's mighty prayer. When I witness, it's Christ's witness through me. This vessel, weak earthen vessel. The thing I pray about this earthen vessel is God would empty it of self and fill it with His power. And so anyway, to make the experience, I want to summarize it here a little bit. And so what he said was, if you believe in God, prove it to me right now. Otherwise, stop this nonsense. You know, all these Christians who believe in superstition, stop. Either you prove it to me or stop doing it. Okay, so thank you for the question. Let me think about it for a moment. And I thought of all the lectures at the university about proving this of God didn't seem to work for this guy. So I didn't share it. I said, Lord, you know, by the way, the wonderful thing about prayer you don't have to use text message or emailing, no cell phones, because when you pray, God understands your thoughts. You know, in a crowd, I want to get my wife's attention. Sometimes she doesn't get it. And, and other people hear what I'm saying. With God, you can speak secretively and nobody knows anything and he doesn't gossip like some people do. And in my mind, I'm thinking, Lord, you know, I asked you to help me meet somebody to witness to. Why in the world do you answer my prayer in such a big way? <laughs> Why? And the man said, excuse me, you have no answer. Oh, sir, excuse me. You know, I listened to you for an hour. Let me think. I want to give you a good answer. Okay, think fast. Lord, quick. This, this French uh, philosophy professor of atheism is, is, you know, he's anxious. Please give me an answer. That's right. He impressed me. Only share your heartfelt testimony, how I transformed your life. And your honesty and the Holy Spirit will impact his life because of your testimony. But how would this happen? I know what I'm doing. God knows what he's doing. And he's able to handle any atheist, especially French philosophers of atheism. <laughs> I was worried. How would I argue with this man? He was going to beat me to the ground. But I was forgetting about Jesus who created this man in his image, who died for him. He can handle him. Then, Lord, go for it. Well, he said, it's about time you answer me. I said, well, you know, that's the answer I want to give you. I hope you like it. I began to share with him my honest, heartfelt testimony, how Jesus took my life, put it in one piece, gave meaning and purpose and hope for the future. All these good things. And he, I couldn't believe it. I thought he was going to shut me down. But he was subdued by the Holy Spirit. He didn't say a word. He was just looking at me. And because of that, I took advantage of his silence. I began to wax eloquent about details of my testimony. And believe it or not, I shared so much with him. A whole hour. I gave him one hour. And he gave him one hour because he didn't say anything. And when I finished, I had nothing more to say. I said, sir, it's supposed to be nice meeting you. He just stared at me like this. No word. Really, it's nice to meet you, and, and God bless you. And I'll be praying for you, just looking at me like that. It's kind of awkward, you know, like this man holding my hand. I mean, like <laughs> these two men holding hands for a long time, you know. I mean, and I tried to pull away from him. We'll see you later, you know. Have a nice trip. And he held onto my hand. That's only the power of the Holy Spirit. And then what happened? He looked at me seriously. Oh, oh, sir, how I wish, how I wish mm. that I have the faith you have in God. Mm. 
I wish I had the faith you have in God because I don't have peace. And you know something? As you spoke, something shut my mouth. I couldn't speak because I guess I need to hear you. And there's this strange feeling came over me. Never had this in my life. And I sensed I need God. I wish I had the faith you have in God. But it's too late for me. Too late. There's, there's life, there's hope, sir. I can help you. I don't know, it's too late. I wish I knew this before. I'm too steeped in atheism. I convinced so many of my colleagues and my peers. I write textbooks. I can't change, but God can change you. The very God who subdued to listen to my testimony can change you. He said, I don't know about that. I said, I'll pray for you. And I began to talk to other people at the airport. And then the call came to board the plane to Mauritius. And it was free seating. And he just walked behind me. He said, could I sit next to you? I said, yes, of course. He began to ask more questions about the Bible. Hungry, thirsty for the water of life. And as the plane was landing in Mauritius, he said, you know something? I'm here because I'm speaking at a convention of a hundred atheistic professors. I said, I'm speaking at a convention of about a hundred pastors. He said, sir, is it, is it too much if I ask you if you can come to our atheistic convention and share with the other atheists your testimony? And I said, yes! And now I need to go and eat, and if you come back, I'll tell you the rest of the story. Shall we stand to pray, please? Dear Father, through the Holy Spirit, you melted the heart of this hardened atheist. Certainly you can do this to each one of us, and please do it right here and now, as you convict us to smell sweet like Jesus, to taste delicious like Jesus and may our lives help others to be thirsty for the water of life oh dear Lord help us to sit at your feet today to learn your methods and your ways and in doing that we reach the highest position in life and because of that we become recognized as having been with Jesus in his name I pray Amen.